coming up on this week's show. ESPN Plus scores again with a fantastic short film. A big change at NBC gives them an advantage with Premier League rights. Belgium football is back on US TV and streaming. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Now, Kartik, um, we're probably going to be a little bit all over the place on this episode, so a little bit uh, more than differently. We, we got into different tangents. But one of the great things about listening to this podcast is that you get a heads up. You get all of the inside knowledge about what's happening with soccer rights. So in last week's episode, um, we had the news, but we were waiting to get confirmation. So we didn't break it on last week's episode, but we did give you a big hint that ESPN Plus would be announcing another uh, edition of a new league. And that happened, I think it was on Friday, I mean, the, the day after the podcast was released. And that was the Belgium uh, Pro League coming to ESPN Plus in an exclusive deal for the next five years. And uh, I think there's like about five or six American players uh, playing in Belgium. I have to ask you, Kartik, which is, complete, which is completely fine, but... I don't think we've watched a lot of Belgian football in the past, right? Because we didn't really have access to it. Have you watched much, uh, other than Europa League, much uh, Belgian football? No, I've watched a lot of... Uh, look, Sasha Kleisten, who was one of my favorite American players of that generation, he was playing for Anderlecht for many years. And I think, in fact, may have logged more European appearances than almost every American player. I mean, Pulisic has passed him now. but uh, he, 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 uh, So I've watched a lot of Anderlecht. But I haven't watched them in league play. I've watched them in, in uh, Champions League and Europa League. Yeah, me too. I think uh, not Anderlecht, but for me, it would have been uh, Club Brugge, watching them a lot. I've watched in, a lot of them too. Yeah, Europa League and Champions League too. And um, I mean, some good football. It's a great development league. I think it's one of those top leagues in Europe where if you want to develop players. So, you mean, the Dutch League, the Belgium League, a lot of uh, players in the past... Uh, would have gone. I mean, Chelsea would have loaned out half their team uh, to to, uh, to clubs in Just Belgium. Yes. Yeah, yeah, or oh, in Holland, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Vincent Company, who's uh, currently, I think, the manager at uh, Anderlecht. So uh, a lot of a lot of names that uh, I think viewers and listeners w- would uh, would know. But uh, yeah, I- I'm excited. I watched uh, one of the games from this past weekend, and uh, looking forward to watching more and more Belgium football. All right, Kartik. So let's talk about what we've been watching this past week. And uh, I'll go first. But uh, while I'm while I go first, uh, you think about one of the the top things that you watched from this past week. For me, it was a documentary that was on ESPN Plus. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago on this podcast and uh, teased it. And it's uh, called The Game. Uh, it's only about seventeen minutes long. But to me, it is required watching for any soccer fan. What it is, it's a behind-the-scenes documentary about what it's like to be a referee. And uh, it follows a referee on match day in the Swiss League, one of the top games. But the things I thought were very interesting, there's about six different things. I wrote them, wrote them down. Number one is uh, lots of words of encouragement from members of the referee team to each other when they make good calls. So the documentary, we get to listen in on the referee and the assistants and what they're saying, uh, as well as hearing what the players are saying. 
And that was surprising to me because, I mean, I've been to, you know, I don't know, hundreds of matches. And it's, I don't hear the referees. I mean, now and again, we get to hear them on some of these broadcasts, but it's very, very rare. And I just thought it was interesting hearing them talk to one another, saying, hey, good job, good call there, you know, wait, wait, wait to get that uh, call correct, whatever it may be. The second thing is um, really good communication with the players. So the referee, when he's speaking to the players, just telling them exactly why he's making a decision or... To, you mean basically back the back and forth, helping the the players understand why decisions are made. That to me was uh, kind of very revealing. Number three is um, a halftime. It shows the referees in the dressing room or locker room, and they have their iPhone out and they're going back to a controversial play from the first half. And they're looking at it and then realizing that they may have made a mistake and they, they talk about it. That, to me, was uh, you mean, a fly on the wall. Uh, number four, uh, during the game, a footballer says sorry to a referee. And I thought that's something I would never see or hear as a player going up to a referee saying, hey, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You were right. Uh, number five, and this is towards the end of this documentary and I'm not going to give everything away so definitely watch it if you get a chance but uh, it makes me realize that referees are humans too because uh, after the end of the game the referee uh, leaves the stadium with his with his fa- father his dad comes to the game and they drive off together back home and I thought okay that's a really great moment and you get to hear the conversation between the father and uh, and the referee uh, it just really makes you feel that that referees are human too. And last, lastly, um, number six is really it's so it's it's so rare to hear what referees say in football. I mean, throughout this match, just hearing the conversations and what they're talking about uh, overall, like referees are almost invisible. Uh, we see them, but we don't hear them. Um, it's I mean, probably one of the toughest jobs in profession. You mean being a referee, suffering the the abuse from the fans, from the players, from the the critics, from the pundits, you name it. Uh, But really, really well done. And and this is a a documentary that's available on ESPN Plus exclusively, and I highly recommend it. So it's called The Game. Check it out. Kartik, what about you? What was your uh, fun watch from this past week? wasn't really a fun watch because I didn't get to watch it, (laughs) but I was following it along a lot. Uh, online, uh, the Colo Colo match just now we're recording Wednesday night. So Colo Colo, uh, who has never been relegated, avoids relegation in the Chilean first division. So that that was. Uh, but as far as fun watch, I would probably just say for my own personal vindication, the Leicester Liverpool match because uh, there's been this running issue between uh, if you follow me on social media this running issue for several weeks between Liverpool fans and me specifically about Leicester I can see Liverpool has had a devastating injury uh, situation this season and uh, far more devastating than the the teams they traditionally compete with Man United uh, Man City has been very healthy now for, for for two months or so even though they had COVID problems at the beginning of the year it's partly why they started so poorly United's been f- fairly fit Chelsea's been fairly fit uh, although Havertz had COVID and hasn't really gotten started. Arsenal has been fairly fit. But I have made the point, Leicester City, who don't have the resources of Liverpool and don't have the ability to 
to buy depth to cover have had just as many injury problems. I know Van Dyke takes the headlines. And, and Chris, I think we talked about this once before on this podcast. The last time these two teams uh, met, and NBC devoted their whole pregame show to talking about Van Dyke being out in Liverpool injuries when Ndidi was out for, for uh, who I consider the best player at his position in England right now, Wilfred Ndidi uh, as a six for Leicester, when he was out for that match. Um, so, in fact, Leicester now has James Justin, who, who's been – arguably the best left back in England this season, out for the season. Indeed, he is back. Uh, they went four, four matches without him and, and only won one of them. Uh, and then they had, he was injured earlier in the year, as I mentioned. Uh, Vardy is now back. And lo and behold, they beat Liverpool. 3-1. So I that I felt very vindicated by that personally because I've had this running dispute and it's just actually gotten worse since that match. Because now what the Liverpool fans are saying to me is, oh, well, you're not – this shows you were wrong because obviously Leicester had their guys back and Liverpool doesn't. Well, so I mean it even got to the point this afternoon on Twitter. I posted a graphic which showed all the matches that Leicester players – Pereira, Amarte, <laughs> Pratt, uh, per, uh, uh, Castagne, all the guys had missed in addition to Justin Ndidi and, and Vardy, who we've talked about. So, uh, yeah, I guess that would be my match of the week because I feel personally vindicated. And the last thing, I think Liverpool fans, a lot of them have something about Brendan Rodgers that does not make them want to give Leicester credit <laughs> or concede uh, the Leicester thing. Because then in some of my private conversations with Liverpool fans, they've gotten into the whole Rodgers thing. And well, if we had had a better, when I say you got to give him credit, because he's dealing with the same injury situation as Klopp, he's not whining about it in the media constantly. And, and uh, they're in the top four. They're now six points ahead of you guys. It, it's like, well, if we had a better manager, we wouldn't have blown it in, in, in the 13-14 season. My retort to that is that was as close as Liverpool got to a title for 30 years. <laughs> what do you want? Um, so anyway. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so I just feel vindicated by that result. So I guess that would be my match of the week. Yeah, and probably the part about Brendan Rodgers would be that maybe some Liverpool fans feeling a little bit defensive and not admitting that, I mean, Rodgers did a really, really good job with, it, with with the side. And yes, ultimately, they failed to, to win the Premier League title, came so close. But to say that, to give Rodgers credit, maybe some Liverpool fans feel that that's uh, taking away some of the, the credit uh, that Klopp uh, deserves too. I mean, they're, they're both fantastic managers. But it was a crazy good game. Uh, I particularly loved uh, Jim Beglin's uh, co-commentary in this one. It seems that he's doing all the games now in Kartik. He's does so many Premier League matches. Uh, he does Champions League for CBS uh, Barcelona this match. week. He was, uh, yeah, Barcelona PSG. He's he's got to be probably one of the, the busiest guys in the co-commentary business, and uh, he's a great guy and, and actually a great way with language too when he's uh, I think Firmino's goal in that game I mean with Liverpool open up the scoring and, and I think uh, he said uh, something about uh, magic feet which it was it was I mean but just the way that he's able to kind of uh, summarize exactly what Firmino does that's so special using two words and and um, yeah a really really great co-commentator probably at the top of his game and for a lot of listeners readers, viewers, etc. They probably don't know Jim Beglin, the footballer. I mean, the player that used to play for Liverpool and I mean, the, the history of the fo- professional footballer. They know him as the co-commentator. And I think there's, there's probably quite a few uh, former players that are just as famous now probably as, as commentators or co-commentators. Speaking of Liverpool, I have to say, Kartik, I was really impressed by CBS's coverage on Tuesday pre-game 
uh, for before the, the Liverpool RB Leipzig game. And to have Jamie Carragher and Roberto Martinez uh, pre-match breaking down Liverpool's problems over the last few weeks. Again, this is before the uh, the Leipzig game that they won. Uh, I, I don't think you can pick two better people to analyse the Reds. I mean, Carragher knowing intimately in terms of being a def- former defender, former Liverpool player, uh, and then Roberto Martinez being able to tactically uh, deconstruct what's happening and, and being the current uh, Belgium manager. And uh, that I thought was really impressive too. And and that's and that's what we're seeing from CBS now continuously is kind of top level uh, pundits and, and also a lot of variety, a lot of change. So it's not the same three people kind of in that in that studio. It's it's kind of rotating. You get some fresh faces. Uh, you're getting the Guillaume Balagas uh, being at the stadium. You're getting the Peter Schmeichels also. Uh, and so much coverage um, on top of um, what they're doing already. What about you, Kartika? So, I, so you, I've uh, mentioned my favorite thing from this past week. You do, you have too. Uh, anything else you want to point out before we move on? Yeah, I, I thought it was another really interesting weekend in 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 uh, Serie A, and ESPN is doing really well covering the Serie A title race. But behind that, or under the surface. The rights, as we've talked about, as you've written about on World Soccer Talk, do they hold the rights? Do they keep the U.S. rights to Serie A after the season? That has to be weighing on them as they cover this epic title race where there are, um, I guess, realistically, maybe only three or four teams that can win the title. But it feels like seven teams could win the title in Italy. The, 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 the race is that competitive this year. And I'm, I'm so gripped by the title race in Italy right now uh, that I'm anytime – I can check out additional content, which they provide ESPN Plus, which is their, their highlight show. And they have their Serie Awesome podcast and, and, and uh, uh, Gab Marcotti's podcast. And all of this stuff, I'm checking it out because I don't remember. Now, we're, we're, um, we're obviously still a little ways out, but I don't remember a title race in a big league with this many teams that could win it this late in the season. I think France in the 09-10 season, I remember, the year uh, Marseille under Deschamps won the title. There were six or seven teams that were pushing uh, up until maybe mid-March. But uh, this is the first time in a decade I can remember something this exciting, a title race this exciting. Now, having said that, I may be setting it up that Inter or AC Milan, whoever wins the derby this weekend, pulls away. Who knows? But um, right now, it's the most most captivating thing, I think, out there. Yeah, so, so the soccer rights part of that uh, equation is, to me, fascinating because in the past, like, what, six months, we broke the stories that ESPN Plus had acquired the rights to the Scottish Premiership and Scottish Championship, um, as well as, I mean, this past week, uh, the Belgium Leagues. And those are two leagues that uh, have a, a core fan base, but but it's not La Liga, it's not the Premier League, it's not uh, Liga MX. They're, they're, they're smaller leagues. And it seems, which is, I, I'm okay with this, but it seems any time now a soccer league, even if it's not a big one, uh, is announced as be- going to ESPN+, Plus, that ESPN+, Plus acquires the rights, people go crazy, crazy yeah. in a good way. People are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Now I can watch, uh, in addition to the German League and the Championship, now I can watch the Belgium League and the Sc- Scottish League. At the same time, in this past week, too, uh, at worldsoccertalk.com, uh, we had a exclusive interview with one of the executives at CBS Sports talking about how Paramount Plus is um, 
I wouldn't say on the verge, but is definitely in the game to try to get the Serie A rights. And ESPN Plus at the same time is also trying to acquire the rights. So it's really kind of a, a tussle between the two of them. There may be some other outsiders trying to get the rights too. But the reception to people hearing about Paramount Plus possibly getting the Serie A rights was relatively muted. There were a lot of people going like, oh, not another streaming service, or people going like, no, I hope ESPN Plus doesn't lose them. It's almost at this point in time, Kartik, if uh, ESPN Plus announced that they've just acquired the rights to, I don't know, the the English non-league division, people would go crazy, like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing news. This is wonderful. I can finally watch some non-league football. I can watch even these, these smaller teams. And then if Paramount Plus announces that they get the Serie A rights, which is no guarantee, in the next few weeks we will find out if it's ESPN or, or, or Paramount, whoever it may be. I, I'm guessing if Paramount Plus got it, there wouldn't be that, this much uh, enthusiasm. What's your take there on that? There some anger, actually. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, that's the thing that's so striking to me, Chris. Is I, And I've said I think ESPN's streaming product is better than the other streaming products. And I've said that now consistently for a while, for, for many months. But uh, I, the anger I see over Peacock the among Premier League fans, the anger I've seen the, just these last two days on social media about uh, these uh, three of the four uh, round of 16 matches this round were behind the paywall. Now, of course... I watch them on Univision half the time or more, more than half the time. So I, I don't have this problem. But I guess some people don't have Univision channels or the Galavision is a spillover channel that Univision uses. Or, or maybe they just don't want to watch the matches in Spanish. But um, there was a lot of anger about oh, CBS All Access, which is Paramount Plus, right? What are they doing? This is like it's 1990, uh, 1995 again where we can't watch uh, Champions League matches. Is it really 2021? And there was a lot of anger about about it. A lot of anger about uh, the, uh, the uh, so continuing anger about Peacock. Yet when ESPN puts things behind the paywall on ESPN Plus, there doesn't seem to be this level of vitriol. So they're doing something really well with their public relations and their presentation, ESPN, in, in, at least in terms of soccer fans. I don't know how other sports fans are about paywalls and, and these individual streaming providers. But they're doing something that, that NBC and CBS aren't in terms of satisfying the consumer. It, yeah, it's a great point. I think what it is is that most of us who are listening and, and who are soccer fans, most of us already have ESPN+. Plus. So uh, they got in relatively early to the streaming game. The price is so low. They have so much, so many rights. That I think it's one of those things that um, if you have, I mean, whichever league it is or competition, a cup of competition, whatever, if they announce that they're on ESPN+, Plus, the vast majority of soccer fans go, hooray, I mean, I get more value for my money versus Paramount+, Plus, which arguably could be actually a better service. Uh, what, what, I mean, they offer for about the same price, they offer movies and uh, TV shows and, you mean, local CBS channels, Champions League, Europa League, uh, NWSL. There's a ton of content that, that, that they offer. But most people at this point uh, uh, aren't subscribing in those large numbers uh, for CBS All Access as they have for ESPN Plus when, you, when you're considering soccer fans. It's interesting with with the Belgium League because um, when I got the confirmation and spoke to them and got got some quotes from them about uh, about the league and about uh, what this means for the Belgium League, 
is I congratulated them. I was like, this is a major deal. This is a fantastic uh, move by you guys to get on ESPN+. And I think we're at this time, time right now where if a league gets on ESPN+, uh, versus another streaming service, it's a win-win for the league because it's probably greater reach, um, more positive PR. Uh, it's more likely that uh, soccer fans are going to uh, be you mean going through on a Saturday or a Sunday and then kind of uh, flipping through on ESPN Plus and, and finding your Belgium pr- uh, Pro League. Um, I, th- I think it's a good thing actually for this league to do that versus say, what were their the other options? Maybe probably Paramount Plus probably wouldn't have been interested in uh, the Belgian League. So where would it have gone? Probably nowhere. So I, and so I think in many ways ESPN Plus is making all the right moves. And I think at the end of the day, for a lot of leagues and cups and competitions, if you own the rights to those, you're probably thinking, hey, maybe ESPN Plus is the, the place to go because, you mean, the, the amount of uh, great things happening on that streaming service – at some point in time is going to to generate an increase in number of uh, in your reach and in popularity and so maybe the Bundesliga was ahead of its time Kartik maybe the Bundesliga made the right move at the right time and they're reaping the rewards of it yeah you know I really thought this was going to be when 2DNA launched to be honest with you I thought 2DNA was going to end up uh, and especially with the bilingual format that it was going to be and I think we talked about this we uh, we had already switched to this format of the podcast when 2DNA launched I thought they were going to become the the destination I, I, I probably if you go back and listen to the podcast whatever podcast it was uh, when we talked about 2DNA launching three years ago whenever it was three three and a half years ago uh, I think I predicted that right that that would become the destination every league would want to be on 2DNA because they had a bilingual setup they had the built-in audience from Liga Emekis, the most popular league in this country on TV, and that uh, outside the Premier League, which has their their, their niche with NBC and, and the, the reach of NBC, everyone would want to be on 2DNA. Well, in fact, uh, leagues have abandoned 2DNA, right? European leagues, France, um, the, uh, the Germany, etc. Uh, that was on the Spanish language, the Dutch league. Uh, that was on the Spanish language side. I thought eventually they would get the English language rights for some of these leagues. I was wrong. In fact, they uh, they seem to be struggling for content outside of Liga Mekis, whereas uh, ESPN has built this portfolio. And ESPN has a lot of these rights in English and in Spanish, by the way. Let's not forget that. So uh, it's, uh, it's an impressive turnaround also from ESPN because I think the feeling was, Chris, before ESPN Plus launched, when ESPN lost the Premier League or the, 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 the sharing of the Premier League rights with uh, Fox, when they lost that to NBC, when they lost – the Champions League a few years earlier and then didn't get the rights back. And they uh, were effectively out and they lost the, the FIFA rights, right? They lost the World Cup rights. They had had La Liga on a, uh, on, 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 a, on a lease, not a lease, but what's the term I'm looking for? Sub-license. For, on a sub-license from Gold TV. And then when those rights went to BN, that went away, right? So they had been showing, they never had El Clasico, right? Gold TV always kept that, but they had some big matches, mm-hmm. some big La Liga matches, remember, in 2009, and two, well, 2010, 2011, 2012, those, those few years before, the last few years before Gold TV lost the rights. We thought ESPN was out of the club soccer business, honestly. And now yep, they yep. come back to where they're the destination again. So I think that's a big thing is the comeback of ESPN because and now having the bandwidth of ESPN Plus, they were out of uh, big-time European club football completely. 
uh, in 2014 or 2015 after they had lost the Premier League and Goal TV had uh, lost the, the, the rights and they went to be in the La Liga rights. They didn't have Serie A. They had cup competitions, right? I think we've talked about that. We didn't see the Bundesliga being on the horizon for ESPN. Didn't see Serie A being on the horizon. Uh, and to me, that's a big story of the last five years in, in American broadcast television or television and streaming is the comeback of ESPN in the European club game. Now, imagine if you're the Premier League and we know that um, the rights for the, well, the the next probably three seasons uh, are going to, uh, are up for bid. We know that, that, that we will find out this year who those rights will go to. Now, if you ima- imagine if you're the Premier League and you have a choice between ESPN Plus or NBC slash Peacock, who do you go to? If, if if the amount of money that they're offering is about the same amount of money, do you go with a Peacock or do you go with an ESPN Plus? I think they go with Peacock because they like being exclusive. They like being uh, uh, on some sort of pedestal in a lot of people's minds. I, I, I'm not kidding when there when I when I say there are Americans who think of Serie A and the Bundesliga as minor leagues because they're not the Premier League. Um, it, now, it's a niche audience. It's a very small group of maybe Anglophiles that think that way. But NBC caters to that. Uh, and they cater to that, oh, this is the greatest show on earth. I, you go to ESPN Plus, yeah, you're, you've got the bandwidth in terms of maybe increasing your scope, but then you don't have the studio programs that are going to act in that fashion. Um, and you're competing with the Bundesliga. Now, if Serie A were to leave ESPN, Plus. Now, this is actually interesting because we'll know that first. If Serie A does go to Paramount Plus, maybe then you do it. And, and La Liga isn't there yet. So that, I think, is part of the equation. But if Serie A and the Bundesliga are still there and La Liga, as we suspect, ends up on ESPN and ESPN Plus, I don't think the Premier League is going to go there. The Premier League may look at other alternatives to Peacock, potentially. We've, we've talked about maybe the possibility of Discovery or, uh, or Paramount Plus, one of those two. But I don't think they'll go to ESPN because just they like this exclusivity being on a pedestal type thing. So when I interviewed uh, CBS this past week and, and talking to them about Paramount Plus and asking about soccer rights, here's what they said. Here's the quote that's uh, on the World Soccer Talk website. It's no mystery that we're interested in, it, in expanding our portfolio. Uh, we certainly love the socket space, and we're looking in a lot of places, but we have to find the right partners. And and that's completely possible, too, is that Paramount Plus says, you know what, let's go all in. Let's get the Premier League. We already have the Champions League. Uh, maybe we'll get Serie A, too. And then all of a sudden, practically within overnight, like practically within 12 months, they could have, I mean, three major competitions, the Premier League, Serie A, uh, which has a lot of uh, respect in terms of the way the football is played. You mean some really, really uh, great players. And of course, the Champions League that they already have. That would change things completely, right? It would shake up the space uh, entirely. Yeah, I think also I should mention this. I think the Premier League, more than having an issue with being, I think they do have an issue with not being on a pedestal. But I think also there is a difficulty in broadcasting the Bundesliga and the Premier League at the same time, just because their their windows are almost identical, those two leagues. Whereas, uh, and you could make the same argument about Italy and, and, and uh, La Liga and uh, Serie A, although La Liga's broadcast windows have changed a little bit the last few years. And now their yeah. matches are on, on at different times. Right. Uh, but at one time, they were almost identical to 
Italy, their broadcast windows, and you it basically could only show one or the other, and then same thing Bundesliga Premier League, which is why, uh, again, I, I don't want to harp on this. I know I've talked about this before. I think it, Serie A really got uh, the short end of the stick when they were on VN and, and really got, I think, got put in a, a very bad place, even by the attitude of that network towards that league. And getting off of VN and on ESPN Plus is just completely changed the game for Serie A in this country uh, because Bien was never going to give Serie A top building o- billing over La Liga and at that time the broadcast windows were almost identical so very rarely on their on their primary channel would they show a, a Serie A match if there was a big La Liga match going on at the same time you'd have to go to Bien Sport Connect or whatever it was called at the time Bien Sport Play I, whatever it was called right their <laughs> overflow thing at the time you would have to go to watch a lot of Serie A now no such no such problem yeah, like we mentioned in last week's podcast, uh, 2021 is going to be the year of soccer streaming. The big question is is whether th- those major rights, such as the Premier League, such, such as Serie A, such as Copa America, um, and others that are up for bid this, this year, whether they go to a Paramount Plus, whether they go to a Peacock TV, whether they go to ESPN Plus, or they go to a Fubo or to some other streaming service, that is the big question, is... is uh, and, and and everything is moving towards streaming. Yes, television will still be involved, but that's where the money's at. That's where these giant media corporations, whether it's Viacom, CBS, or Disney, uh, and or NBC Universal, they're pouring money into into getting rights acquisitions to get the subscribers. They want to be the number one streaming service game in town. Uh, and when I say game, I mean in terms of entertainment, news, etc. So it's 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 a major major heavyweights um, looking at these rights. Now, Kartik, let's move on to looking ahead to this weekend. Speaking of some major games, uh, viewing recommendations. If you have to pick out one game this weekend, uh, I'm going to go Liverpool against Everton in the Merseyside derby on Saturday. Uh, Liverpool looking re- rejuvenated after the Champions League. Uh, Everton inconsistent, uh, losing midweek in the uh, the makeup game against Man City, and uh, I guess I'm a traditionalist at, at heart. But um, even though the Merseyside derby isn't the greatest uh, spectacle in sports, I will still look forward to watching this one and and hoping that it'll be a great game. What about you? Uh, what's your pick for this weekend? And by the way, Everton have not beaten Liverpool since uh, 2010, days after FSG bought the club. So, I mean, in terms of uh, major derbies between big clubs, and there are actually two seasons in there that Everton finished ahead of Liverpool in the league, but yet they couldn't beat them either of those seasons. So, uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to that match also. But uh, my recommendation is actually the Milan derby, uh, which was it was a toss-up between that and Napoli and Atalanta, which is also on Sunday. Both are on ESPN+. Plus. Both are going to have massive ramifications in the title race. Uh, well, the Milan Derby more so, but uh, also top four on, in, in Napoli Atalanta. So uh, Serie A is where it's at. Now, the, the interesting question is we've seen ESPN when they've had the bigger matches on plus than they have on ESPN two. I think they have a match earlier in the day on ESPN two or, or yet, well, the Australian opens going on. So on one of the ESPN networks might be ESPN news. They have the Parma match on before the, the Milan match. They, uh, they do do this wraparound coverage with Dan Thomas and Gab Marcotti and, and Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, if they have availability of Stuart Robson, usually Stuart, when it comes to uh, Serie A, usually Stuart Robson's calling one of the big games. So uh, for the international 
Apple feed. But sometimes they've had him available and he's in, in their studio also. So I'll be interested to see how they present this. They've got back-to-back matches on ESPN Plus that are pretty darn big that I think that they're going to uh, they're going to probably want to do some sort of big wraparound coverage with. So we'll see uh, we'll see what happens with this. Yeah, the wraparound. I'm also looking at it from ESPN's coverage standpoint. Yeah, the wraparound coverage. The only thing I would say about that too is that uh, it often seems to be late in the game when they announce it, which which is usually just just a tweet. I mean, a tweet will yeah. go out. Dan Thomas might say, "Hey, join us today from." I mean, half an hour before the game starts. Uh, Serie A, we're going to have a. I mean, a studio coverage, and if you miss that tweet, you probably are going to tune in when the game kicks off, and and you miss all of that. Uh, that's my only criticism there, which I know they're busy and, and there's so much going on, but still, if they can do a better job of communicating that, I think that would help um, help Serie A. Now, in terms of news, TV streaming news, we've we've covered covered a couple of the topics already, Belgium and Serie A in terms of the latest developments there. Uh, in other news, uh, if you're a fan of Argentine soccer, so whether it's uh, Boca Juniors, River Plate, uh, Racins, uh, San Lorenzo, uh, etc. Uh, Fanatis is back for the Argentine um, Primera Division season and uh, has live and, and on-demand coverage of every single game. So in the past, I think they had the majority of the games. Now they have the, the rights to all the games around the world, except for Argentina. So if you live in Argentina... Uh, you'll have to watch the channels you, you normally watch uh, Argentine football on. But if you're around the world, otherwise outside of Argentina, you can watch those on Fanatis. Now, in other news, there was a big change at NBC Sports last week that gives the broadcaster an advantage in their attempt to renew the Premier League rights. According to one of my, my, one of my insiders with the Premier League in England, the Premier, Premier League were pleased to hear that one of the top executives at NBC Sports has been pushed out. The number two guy at NBC Sports, uh, David Preschlack, is gone. In previous months on this podcast, we revealed that a lot of the new executives at NBC Sports at the highest level didn't really understand or get soccer. Our insider in England says that it was rumoured that Preschlack was one of the key executives that initially was recommending that NBC Sports should not renew the rights. Now that he's gone... NBC has uh, shuffled the responsibilities of the key executives around, and the Premier League is much happier with the executives that are leading the charge to try to renew the rights. That's a smart move by NBC Sports, especially if they want to keep increasing the number of subscribers to Peacock TV from in future seasons. So, so that's positive signs for NBC where they're shuffling the deck and uh, that will or that has already uh, pleased uh, the Premier League, uh, according to my insider in England. Last but not least, uh, if you watched ESPN Plus this past weekend, you probably saw a trailer for a brand new documentary. It's a three part series. It's called uh, Galacticos and it focuses exclusively on some of the, the legends that have played for Real Madrid. Um, Zinedine Zidane was featured prominently in, in the actual trailer it's coming to ESPN Plus soon, uh, we believe it's going to be February 24th but um, the date hasn't been confirmed yet but just more of a heads up, keep an eye out for it, there'll be more information coming soon as soon as we get it, we'll publish it at worldsoccertalk.com but uh, it looks interesting it looks really really good, so uh, check that out 
Moving on to TV ratings, just a couple of uh, numbers to throw out uh, from this past uh, week or two. Fox Deportes is currently on pace for a record uh, Liga MX season. After the first five weeks of the 2021 uh, Clausura, uh, Fox Deportes is cur- currently averaging 297,000 viewers. The numbers are up 65% over the pre-pandemic 2020 Clausura the network uh, currently has this season's most watched match on Spanish cable with 660,000 fans tuning in for Monterrey against uh, Club America on January 16th. Also, the Club World Cup final averaged 344,000 viewers in total on Fox Supporters. It was the most watched Club World Cup final in Spanish language since 2017. Moving on to listening. Let me point out something. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to point out real quickly. I think sometimes our listeners may get confused because we combine the ratings, the numbers from Univision over the air, Univision with uh, Univision Deport, or not Deportes anymore, 2DNA. Uh, actually, these Fox numbers are really impressive compared to just 2DNA numbers. If you take the Univision numbers out of uh, the, the, the combined uh, totals we give on this show, and you just look at look up against the 2DNA numbers, I, I was actually surprised, shocked by these numbers. So Fox Deportes is doing really well uh, this year with, with Mexican football and obviously Club World Cup also, as you mentioned. All right. Listen to Mailbag. First up is Tim Keen. Tim says... Earlier this year, you were talking about the weakness of the NBCSN analysis. The addition of Danny Higginbotham has made a huge difference. He has turned out to be a game changer. I also like that Peacock shows extended highlights of games. The 15 minutes is a big plus when you don't have the time to watch all of the games. Next up is Amanda Flores. Uh Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, w- I was going to just jump in, Chris, and say yes, Tim. I, I have actually recently discovered that Peacock 15-minute condensed game, and it's phenomenal. And, and, they, and they cut it really well. And I think it's Premier League Productions doing it. In fairness, I don't think it's, it's NBC. But um, well, maybe it is NBC. I don't know. But it's, it's really well done. And I've just uh, discovered that the last two weeks and have kind of geeked out on them. I've gone back and if I haven't seen a game, I've watched it. And if I have seen a game, I've watched it. So I, I've ended up seeing uh, these extended highlights. So in some of those games, I've, you could say I've seen much of it twice because of that. And they're, they're generally 12 to 15 minutes. They're not too long, but they give you the build-up play to goals. And they give you other big moments besides the goals. So I highly recommend it if you have any uh, additional time to watch the Premier League, let's say, uh, when, you, when no, no other soccer is on. There's always soccer on, Kartik. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Amanda Flores says, uh, great debate last week on the podcast about uh, the color commentary in the United States. Um, I think that, that in the States, uh, fans are so insecure. One person I can't believe has never had a chance is Cal Williams. He was magnificent on the Copa Libertadores and better than most in the USA and Canada. And it's only within the last, I'd say probably the last 12 months, that uh, I actually had a chance to listen to his commentary. I think it was one of the games. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but uh, I was like, wow, blown away by how good it was. Uh, also, recently, too, I listened to, uh, I watched the the Copa Libertadores on the BBC, and he was doing the commentary on that one. I was like, wow, this guy is top level. And I, I'm surprised, too that he hasn't uh, gotten more opportunities in the States because he's up there. He actually reminds me a lot of Derek Ray 
in terms of his cadence and his knowledge of the game. Uh, he's that good. Brian Sanders says, uh, I have a couple of questions as you as you mentioned in passing. Serie A is shown in Italian on RAI's Italian channel, uh, like how Ligue 1 is on TV Monde. Uh, are those being contested by CBS, BN and ESPN? I don't have access to them, so I can't comment on their coverage. You did just break the Belgian league going to ESPN+. Plus. When is uh, Ligue 1 up? figured that uh, they could take that away from BN Sports, which would further hamper uh, that formerly strong channel. I welcome your thoughts and thanks for the recommendation on the Greek League. And I think this is something that Brian mentioned too, but uh, he was asking, I think his girlfriend um, or a partner uh, is from a Greek family and wanted to watch uh, some of the, the Greek games in the States. So I gave him some recommendations of, of legal ways he could watch those games or his family could watch those games. Uh, a few different things to talk about here. So Ligue 1, the French League, I think the rights with being sports uh, go through till I think 2024. It's going to be a long time. And, and even then, I mean, the, the likelihood is, is that they will stay with being sports. I know the French League have said publicly that um, they want to see things change, that, um, I mean, they think that an ESPN or a Fox or some big, big heavyweights should be broadcasting Ligue 1. Um, while PSG and Neymar are popular, and it's a fantastic league, I just don't, the, the, the demand is not there. I mean, you ask the average soccer fan, um, take 100 fans, how many of them actually have a French club as their number one club? And it might be like one person, two people, maybe. It's really small numbers. Um, the other thing he asks about, too, is... Um, the uh, I guess the Italian language rights for Serie A. So, in the current deal that's been um, negotiated uh, or actually bid upon by ESPN and Paramount Plus and other um, providers, it will include the Italian coverage, the Italian language rights with that package. So, in the past, it had been separated. Uh, this time it's actually together. And the French League and, and, and TV Monde, I, I'm not aware aware of that. I didn't realize that uh, the French League in, in French language uh, rights was a separate package. Um, what about you, Kartik? Have, have you heard anything about that in the past? No, I mean, I think we've all talked. In fact, I, it's it's become a big news story even more than uh, uh, the other big news story in soccer this week that made the actual mainstream news was Colo Colo and talked about that at the top of the podcast but the other big news story in 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 global news that involves football or soccer has been this this issue of the domestic rights in france uh, and what happens with the domestic tv rights and what's happened with media pro etc um i don't know i i didn't know about the french language rights in the u.s market that it was a separate package but i i, I apparently it is so uh i suppose that would continue till the same right cycle right till 2024 i i guess yeah, possibly. Yeah, which is it, it's one of those things. I mean, the the French league's uh, TV ratings for the games, I mean, the Ligue 1 games, even PSG games on being sports are so small. Um, I'm sure there's there's, there's a passionate uh, fan base in the United States of French football fans that follow, I mean, Marseille and Lyon, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, PSG, of course. But um, I just can't imagine those numbers being mean large enough to to be you mean significant really um sorry to say i mean really 
Uh, JL says, soccer broadcasting streaming in this country has always been a mess. I've been trying to follow the sport since my first games as a kid during World Cup uh, 1994 and World Cup 2002. The problem is that nobody wants to air games on regular TV for free. It's all multiple services with, with multiple leagues and games behind multiple paywalls. MLS and other bigwigs uh, want more U.S. kids and fans into the game than they need to put the Premier League and smaller U.K. leagues on the major networks since there's no language barrier and leave the mainland European leagues for a paywall. ESPN used to air a lot of games on basic cable, then it moved to packages, satellite, and now streaming. MLS, which is trying to be something big, has too many paywalls. It's only in the past few years that these services have lowered their prices. Streaming uh, devices and internet are getting cheaper uh, than cable, and cable's becoming irrelevant. I use free trials and $5.99 per month subscriptions to fill the gap with games. Whatever bad things uh, are said about Peacock, they at least have budget-friendly $50 per year deals as well as ESPN at $50. This past weekend, Kartik, I, I counted the number of games that were on um, that were available legally, uh, either through, or actually, U.S. television and streaming. And this past Saturday, and, and MLS hasn't kicked off yet, USL hasn't kicked off yet. Uh, I didn't include college uh, soccer in this, but just professional soccer games from around the world, forty-eight. And not one of those games was being played in the United States. There was games from Australia, Europe, Africa, South America. I mean, you name it. I mean, around the world. The Indian League has games on ESPN+. Plus. Indian League too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And as, as some of our readers know, I, I actually was there uh, in India uh, at the beginning of the first season of that league. So I actually checked out a couple of games and, and, and uh, wrote an article for World Soccer Talk. So I have a little bit of a vested interest in it. But that's the thing, though, too, Kartik, is that the, the sport is so fractured. But fractured in a good way. You mean no matter what heritage you have or no matter what uh, – team or country that you follow or enjoy or whatever your, your, your situation, you have more choice now in the, in the United States than ever before to watch any game from around the world. Practically every single game is available legally. There's a, there's a few exceptions. Even this past weekend uh, on Sunday, somebody clued, clued me in to say, hey, Chris, on uh, 11 Sports right now in the U.S., they're showing a live Ukrainian Premier League game, and sure, I switched it on. It was uh, Dina Pro was playing. I was like, "Wow, this is pretty crazy." So, so that's the thing, though. I mean, I don't think we're going back to what JL's saying, where there's just going to be more games on basic cable or more games on free-to-air television. Um, that was at a time that there was most of the soccer coverage wasn't available in the states. So if you wanted to watch, say, in the 90s, where he said 1994 World Cup and 2002 World Cup, the number of leagues that were available legally in the States um, was probably like three or four. Yeah, the Premier League was on Fox Sports World. We we used to watch it. Max Bredos was actually, and Nick Webster, former host of this podcast, uh, were there. Serie A may have been on Fox Sports World. Well, Serie A would have been RAI. I mean, for sure, if you wanted to watch. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this is before the Satanta Bar Channel. So, um, 
you would have had Liga. Yeah, the bar Liga. channel was there, but we didn't have access to Satanta in the home. So, but it would have been. Yeah, Liga. I think it was just the Premier League and Serie A. Actually. Well, and and Liga MX and MLS. I, I, I mean, well, just, yeah, just in total, we're on regular television. So, but, among European leagues, it was just Serie A and the Premier League, and then we had Liga MX. We've had since the eighties. Uh, was called the FMF First Division at the time, and then uh, obviously MLS. But yeah, so if you go, go back to two thousand two, but Chris. I remember 2010 when Fox Soccer Plus started and it launched and they took the they brought the French rights from Satanta and some other rights from Satanta over. I, I remember those first six months of Fox Soccer Plus, which are the six months leading into the 2010 World Cup. There was so much. It felt like that was the saturation point, right, at least on television. Because ESPN was showing one or two Premier League matches a week. The rest were going to Fox Soccer Channel. There were games on Fox Soccer Plus. Um, and then they had the French League. And there was uh, Serie A was on there. La Liga was uh, on Gold TV, but also had games, some games on ESPN. So I think we, uh, in terms of television and not streaming, it might have been 2010 when we hit that point. And then now, but now when you, when you include streaming, like, this is the high point. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, too. In the 2000s, you could argue that uh, it was the high point for Major League Soccer, where they had games that would have been a MLS Cup game that would have been on ABC. ABC. And it got massive ratings, right? Kind of, you mean, like high, I don't know, 800s, 900s. I mean, like big, big time numbers. In the 90s, the, the DC United LA Galaxy finals got over a million in the two, the two finals between those two teams in the 90s. I think the other finals didn't do quite as well. There was something about those two teams. They were the signature teams of the league. But I think both of those cleared a million on ABC. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get back to that, unless it's a World Cup. Unless and the it's... Freddie Adu debut match on ABC in 2004 or 2005, it would have been, uh, got 1.3 million viewers on ABC. Remember that? Right. And then you have the David Beckham first game for LA Galaxy. Uh, and, that, and I'm that sure that had, had over right, a million people. Well, they had that one game that was played, it was played at Meadowlands. Uh, that was, I don't know, like a 5-4 game or something like that. It was just a crazy game. Really good game, actually. Really entertaining. And I'm sure that one had over a million viewers for that. But I don't think we're, we're ever going to get back to that unless it's a, a World Cup or a Women's World Cup. But those are events. Those are every four years. Um, I mean, we've gone from having four leagues available and that's it to the point in time now where arguably i'd have to go through and count but it's probably 30 30 leagues easily they're accessible that almost every single game is available um that's a big difference and that fractures the audience so it splits the audience so uh say in 2006 uh or 1994 where you had four leagues and those, I mean, if you were a soccer fan, that's all you had a choice of. You had those four leagues and, and that's it. Uh, you mean, versus now where, you mean, we're just all over the place in, in a good way. Nothing bad with that. Um, but it, I don't think we'll ever get back to some of the things that JL was mentioning. Next up is Lee Munson. Lee says, just listen to your podcast. I'm sorry, but I can't stand listening to analysts who think they know everything. Uh, Stu Holden and Taylor Twellman that always point out players' mistakes. That is a perfect example why I have IPTV. And that's the thing, too. I think um, I think Gary Birdles is probably the best example of somebody that was always like, you know, somebody would take a shot, but uh, they should have passed it. And he'd always be uh, a Monday morning uh, quarterback. In, in hindsight, that player should have done this. That player should have, should have done that. And it does get a little bit annoying after a while. 
when they're just pointing out what they should have done. We can see that. We, the audience, know that. We see that mistakes happen. No one's perfect. Uh, but it does get a little bit frustrating. Now, this is another uh, uh, shout-out to, to – you mentioned him earlier in the show, Jim Beglin, because I think he does that in moderation. So when it's glaringly obvious, he doesn't say it. But when he says, oh, well, maybe uh, indeed he could have laid that off a, a second earlier. I'm just using a, a random example or hypothetical example. Uh, and, you, and you haven't really thought about it. He says it after and you think, oh, yeah, you know, that's a really good point. So I, I think, again, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, earlier in the show, Beglin is, is, is really elevating himself into uh, the, the top co-commentator position. And this is another, another reason why. All right. And then in response to our last pod where we urged uh, soccer networks to focus on teams outside the big six, outside the biggest clubs and players uh, outside just the young Americans, we had some uh, some interesting feedback. First up was Chris Kessel. Chris says, the thing that got me more interested in the Premier League than anything was the NBCSN 30-minute preview episodes about each of the newly promoted clubs every year. Every time I walk away, like, damn, Crystal Palace seems awesome, or Fulham has some awesome history, or whatever. Next up is Gorilla Talk. He says, uh, but that is standard operating procedure for all American sports networks in every sport. They claim it's because nobody watches them when they talk about the mediocre teams, so they don't talk about the mediocre teams. It's a circular argument. So good points there from both of them. Yeah, right. Both of them are very good points. JP says the RSN, so Regional Sports Network for MLS in, in my market, doesn't have baseball, so they don't have the problem of being bumped, but still would like to see regional sports networks go away. Only thing keeping me wedded, wedded to cable as I need my local hockey. The end point for all of this jumping around platforms, blackout rules, etc., is for all sports leagues to sell the package directly to fans. NHL TV would be more than 10 times as cost-effective over cable if it weren't for blackout rules. I know the price would increase if that didn't apply, but would surely still be much cheaper. The European soccer leagues don't have this issue. They could easily sell a La Liga TV or Premier League TV or Serie A TV or UEFA TV uh, app for us to stream all the games and cut out the middlemen. Maybe they don't want to assume the risk of subscriptions and advertising coming in lower than expected and would rather have the money up front from all these networks and streaming options. But think this is the way it eventually has to go. Yeah, great points there by JP. And I think that's the way things are heading. I mean, you, you mentioned he mentions UEFA TV. Well, UEFA has a streaming service called, called UEFA TV that they're testing and learning. I mean, you have to remember that a lot of these leagues and, and confederations have little to no experience in broadcasting on streaming. Yes, they know about production and they're involved in, in those facets, but they don't know how to run a huge operation to, you know, kind of a, an ESPN plus of the world. So uh, they are learning as, as they go along. And actually uh, I think, building their uh, streaming services to a point where at some point in the future they could say, you know what, we're just going to go directly to the consumer and, and cut out the middleman. That's not going to happen anytime soon, but um, they're at least working on it as a possibility. Uh, 
Chris Guardino says, uh, when it comes to regional sports networks, I agree with Kartik that they often push MLS and the NHL off in favor of the NBA and Major League Baseball, especially during scheduling conflicts. I have seen this firsthand as a Sounders fan because back in 2017-18, our regional sports network in Seattle was Root Sports, and they booted the Sounders off the network to show more Mariners Major League Baseball games. This caused people that lived outside of the Seattle area including one of my aunts within the state of Washington to lose access to locally televised matches for two years until this past season when Amazon signed a deal with the club to stream all nationally, all, all non-nationally televised games via Prime Video free of charge. I should point out that I live in the Seattle area and watch Sounders matches on Joe TV, a over-the-air network owned by the local Fox affiliate here in Seattle. My question to Chris is, do you see MLS in the next TV rights deal telling the Sounders and the other clubs that they have uh, that have deals with local over-the-air networks um, uh, to stop showing matches on these networks and move these matches to an ESPN or a Paramount Plus instead? And Chris, I, th- I think so. Absolutely. Uh, even though it's a good deal for um, viewers in Seattle and for Joe TV, um, I just see everything becoming less complicated um, and, and moving more towards streaming. I, I think that's where they have to think about making the exception, Chris, is on over-the-air uh, matches, which uh, uh, Portland has also, Seattle has, uh, Miami has. They, they're they going to have to do um, do something to accommodate that because that's a, a level of uh, – a scope and a level that MLS doesn't get normally when they're on a regional sports network. I think if it's a cable system, then they say you have to be off. You have to be on uh, ESPN plus, but I think this is where they have, they have to, they make the exception, but then I guess they get in trouble. If they make exceptions, right? So, yeah. but, but I, I, I can't see them logically telling Portland, Hey, you can't be, uh, you can't be over the air. You have to be uh, behind this paywall. So, if that's well, if, I, I if, think if so the deal when you're talking about over the air and the Joe TV uh, example in Seattle is well taken. Yeah, I, I guess like so. So, for example, if um, I, I guess it, it comes down to money, but at the end of the day, it should come down to reach. Where that over the air channel, I'm sure, has helped out the Sounders in that market to become more popular because it's so easy to watch the games, um, and having it on an ESPN Plus or a Paramount Plus would make it more difficult. So, um, yeah, but I, I still think that everything is moving, moving towards streaming. Last but not least, uh, Gene Anthony says, Hey, guys, great podcast on the soccer streaming wars of 2021. The benefit of, so- of streaming is soccer is now one of the most accessible sports to view across this country, behind football, which has games over the air Saturdays and Sundays. The majority of Major League Baseball, NBA, and NHL games are on streaming services much more expensive than ESPN+, Paramount+, Peacock TV, etc. Yes, there are less, uh, many less games that are on cable, but in an era where most people are spending less on entertainment and looking to cut costs, being an affordable streaming service is great for the sport in the U.S., in addition, I think the MLS and fans need to accept the fact that this is a selling league. The league simply does not generate enough money to compete for top players in their prime. 
being a selling league is not necessarily a bad thing. Collegiate football and basketball is very popular in this country, and some of the players are on teams for only one year. If MLS can continue to utilize their academies and develop young talent that eventually goes to Europe, I think fans will still watch the league to watch exciting prospects and uh, and up-and-coming players like they do for other sports. Some good feedback there from Gene Anthony Kartik. Uh, yeah, I think um, I guess I, I guess in some ways my my note on that would be in terms of Gene talking about uh, people will still watch MLS to watch those um, exciting prospects. I, th- I think they would have to be American. They'd have to be kind of players that people could get really excited about from an American kind of a patriotic point of view. Now, if it's a young, up and coming, I don't know, Honduran player. Which is exciting to watch. Uh, I mean, it has great skill, but may not uh, be as appealing to the viewer. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure because I, I think, yeah, I think it would probably have to be more American players. We see how some of these U.S. men's national team fans are. But you go back to the example of Alfonso Davies, uh, Miguel Almoron, who's been playing much better for, I think we talked about this maybe on the last show, yep. has been playing much better. He's been the main guy, really, uh, beyond Shelby, who. Uh, is hit or miss for Newcastle in the absence of Callum Wilson. Yeah, he's a guy that I think MLS fans take some pride in, right? He, he's his formative years. I mean, his development years were were back home, but then his yeah. the, the years where he became a top professional were in MLS. But we don't we don't hear much but about how, him though, Kartik. I mean, on Twitter, yeah, is, no, is Twitter going? This, this is why. I, I think it's kind of weird what NBC did with Almiron because the first few matches, we talked about this. They talked about him. They talked about him coming in from MLS. There was a spike in Newcastle ratings. The first, and, it, and remember, I think we had this discussion on the podcast uh, two years ago when he moved to Newcastle. Are they going to just keep showing Newcastle game matches on SN <laughs> instead right. of the, the better matches at 10 o'clock Eastern time because they're, they're appealing to Atlanta United fans? Uh, but then that kind of faded. Um, so it, it's temporary, just like the Pulisic thing faded, right? Even though they keep promoting it, I, I, there was no discernible uptick in ratings after a certain point from him. So, yeah, so then when you look at it from MLS's perspective, does it drive interest in MLS? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think what's happening with MLS is so many of these guys are going before they become established MLS stars. The, the Reggie Cannons, the Chris Richards, uh, et cetera, um, who, who who move at 19 or 20 uh, uh brendan aronson just moved right to mm-hmm. uh to, to red Austria. bull salzburg right. i think these guys are guys that are known to u.s national team fans because they're going to be potential stars for the national team and they're in the youth national team setup but they haven't actually become established stars in mls uh when they move to europe so um daryl dk another one who just moved to barnsley right um Jordan Morris is the exception to this, and he's older. So I don't know. It's hard to say because I guess it does drive the interest of U.S. men's national team fans. But as we talked about, Chris, maybe that's a winning strategy five years ago because MLS always needed to be a selling league, and there was more interest in the men's national team five years ago. But actually what we've seen is men's national team fandom is not any greater now than MLS fandom, whereas it was much greater five five to seven years ago than MLS fandom. So uh, – I don't know. I don't know if it's a winning strategy. It might be. I'm not saying it won't be, but I'm more skeptical of it now than I would have been if we had had this conversation in 2013 or 2014. Yeah, good points there. And uh, some great uh, listener feedback and and mailbag uh, this week, as always. So 
Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, sending those in. But we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, whether it's uh, feedback, observations, questions about streaming, questions about uh, TV coverage, uh, you, you name it, uh, in regards to those things, let us know. We'd love to uh, hear from you, and we'd love to read those comments out on air. So again, thank you, everyone. So, uh, Kartik, heading into another weekend, some big matches, as always, right? There's probably an, another 48 uh, games on Saturday from around the world. Um, what are you going to be doing, and, and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. 